here with episode six of the Sporting Chance podcast. Uh, I know you guys have missed me. I've missed you. Uh, I've been away, vacation, schools, whatnot. Plenty of excuses. Sorry I haven't been here. I'm sorry that you guys have missed my frigid takes on things. But I'm back and I am here to give you my acopa, try to make up for things with my next round of opinions. So, where should we start off? Well, the football season is upon us. The season is, in fact, starting tomorrow, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, or yesterday. Uh, Yeah, but anyway, it starts Thursday. So, leading off with Patriots, Kansas City. I don't know the line. I don't care. Patriots are going to win. I don't care how many receivers they have blow out their knees. As long as it's not Amendola, that beautiful, beautiful member of my fantasy team. Anyway, big story, or the the team that I would much prefer to cover, obviously, is the Eagles. And they've got their first game this Sunday, 1 o'clock, against uh, the evil Redskins. Or uh, the team that must not be named, uh, for all of you supporters of the Native American folk. Uh, But... Anyway, uh, we know Doug Peterson says that it's the team he's most happy to face uh, to start off their season. I guess I can see why. I don't know if he's just pumping up his team's own tires and whatnot, but they seem to have had some issues in the preseason. They haven't gotten LeGarrette Blunt the ball in situations where he's going to excel. I haven't seen a lot from any of the receivers other than Matt Collins, who's had an incredible preseason, but also he's a fourth receiver. So, you know, really, how much is he going to do? Alshon Jeffrey, always a question mark with the injuries. Nelson Aguilar, elevated to the slot receiver position after the stunning trade of Jordan Matthews. You know, everybody was down on Nelson last year. He's had issues with drops and issues with, you know, generally just being a Chip Kelly draft pick. So we really have to see something from him this year. Torrey Smith, does he have anything left at the receiver position? He's a veteran guy getting up there, and he's pretty much known as one thing, a burner. And he's had a couple of down years. Yeah, I get it. He was playing in San Francisco. But we need to see him turn on that speed. We saw it once in the preseason. And it was you know like a 52-yard touchdown. But still, we're going to need it game in, game out. And he's going to have to at least keep that safety occupied to make sure that they can go over the top and clear out crossing routes in the middle. Another key question that we have going into this season is at the cornerback position. Now, with the aforementioned trade of Jordan Matthews, it brought in Ronald Darby. Now, Darby has had a uh, chance at a few picks in uh, the preseason. He converted on one of them, came back with a nice return. He's done well so far. Uh, it's moved probably Patrick Peterson or Jalen Mills to the second cornerback position, which is definitely good. I would hope it's Jalen Mills. I think that kid has all the spunk and moxie in the world, and you really need that as a cornerback. You have to be probably the cockiest SOB on the field. And Jalen definitely has that, you know, with his green Odell Beckham cut and whatnot. And the fact that he will just not shut up. But oh well. 
anyway, uh, linebackers are good. Uh, the kid Barnett looks real good at defensive end. Not worried about special teams. Um, I refuse to talk about kickers until they become an issue. So I'll just leave that alone. And, you know, we it's all going to come down to Carson. It's all going to come down to the Wentz wagon and how that's rolling. And, you know, we'll see probably by week, week six if we are living in uh, Wentzadelphia or if we turn on our uh, fair-haired, bright-eyed uh, North Dakota boy. Listen, the kid has all the talent in the world. He's got a great arm. He's mobile. We just have to see him put it together, and we have to see much better play calling from Doug Peterson. You know, hopefully things will be more even. You know, we think we've got the running back situation a little bit figured out. Maybe some more balance, and we won't have to rely on an injury-prone Ryan Matthews. But who knows? All I know is that I'm pumped, and I can't wait for football to finally be back. Okay, moving on to Phillies baseball. It's September. They're irrelevant. But Reese Hoskins is so damn good that I'm going to mention him anyway. Okay, this kid just exploded in the month of August. Hit 11, 12 home runs in one month. It's absolutely ridiculous start. One of the best starts in Major League base in Major League history, you know, since the dawn of recorded stats. But really, that's all they can say. They just brought up J.P. Crawford, who you know probably earned a call up at this point, and they're just playing out the air. But there have been rumors floating around that the Phillies are inquiring into Giancarlo Stanton. They're sniffing around Mike Trout, and just today. Manny Machado has apparently been on the radar. So you can't say the organization isn't doing anything. I know Matt Clintac has a lot of prospects to play with. The real question is, will he move them? And if you can get rid of some of the existing guys that are plugging up holes already on the team. I feel bad. Tommy Joseph, great guy. But Hoskins is the first baseman that we've got playing left field right now. It's not right. So basically, eh, it's just going to come down to moves in the offseason, and the team may or may not be competitive going into the next year. But, you know, we'll see. And really, that's all the time we have to dedicate to the Phillies right now. Okay, anyway, another quick hit that I'm going to come at you with that I probably should take more time to talk about, but it's a little bit after the fact now. Mayweather-McGregor, just a couple thoughts on the fight. McGregor did way better than a lot of people expected. The stoppage was early, and I don't think the result or the event was bad for either sport. I just it it left me with it leaves me with a weird feeling. You know, hopefully McGregor can get back to the octagon soon. That's where we all love to see him spinning and kicking people. And hopefully Mayweather just goes away for the rest of his life and never bothers us again. Because it has been an ordeal having to listen to that man talk. And, you know, everything that goes with that. But now we're getting down to the creme de la creme in boxing. And this is our big story tonight, or one of them at least. And that is talking about Gennady Golovkin versus Saul Canelo Alvarez. And it is the biggest fight in the middleweight division probably since, 
I want to say Sugar Ray Leonard and uh, Marvin Hagler. Sugar Ray versus Marvelous Marvin. Way back in the 90s. Or you could even say maybe De La Hoya versus Hopkins or or Hopkins Trinidad. Oh, geez, both of those were great fights. I'd love to go back and watch them. But anyway, you have the undefeated Russian superstar. Well, technically Kazakhstani superstar, but let's face it, he's Russian. In Gennady Golovkin, he's the pride of his country. He had an Olympic silver medalist, a very extensive amateur career, and an unbeaten professional career. He's got frightening power in his right hand and all the fundamentals to boot. There's a reason he hasn't been stopped. He hasn't even really been close with anybody except the surprising Daniel Jacobs as of recently. But, you know, Golovkin has never been a guy to mess around with. And there's been accusations that Canelo has been dancing him. You know, that's not Canelo. That is the... Uh, executives and the producers and all that crap. And De La Hoya has done a pretty masterful job, I think, actually, uh, at Golden Boy Promotions of being able to get Canelo as much experience and as much work as possible before he faces Golovkin. And this being after the Mayweather-McGregor fight, I think it really does help the exposure of those two because, you know, it's going to be a better boxing match. You know, regardless of the outcome. And what I've got to say about Canelo is that even though he only talks in Espanol, I'm a huge fan of his. I love the way that he fights. I loved the pride he had in his country and in his performance going into the uh, Uriar Cesar Chavez Jr. fight. Uh, and, you know, his only loss is to the aforementioned Mayweather, who he fought when he was way too young. He fights him now and, you know, at a proper weight because Mayweather had him cut far too much weight. Canelo was so depleted and you could see that in the ring. But really, this is a guy that we're seeing come of age and is already built up a Hall of Fame career, in my opinion, and that we could see. But this Golovkin fight, uh, if he's able to win... This could be a pinnacle. And the only thing you can really hope for in this situation is a close fight between the two. So we need to have a rematch. Yeah, ideally, you'd hope that you get two close fights and then they have to have a definitive third. But, you know, I'm pumped for it. I'm really hoping to see uh, both fighters exchange. And... And both guys have said that they don't believe that it will go to a decision, so that tells me they're going to come out and throw. I know Canelo has said he is going to make the fight entertaining and that he wants to showcase himself to the boxing world, which he has done numerous times, and I believe he will do again. It's a tricky line. Uh, Golovkin is going in as a favorite, only slightly, though. And... This is a tough one to call. And both guys are very likable. Neither of them you can really have any animosity towards. They've done great things for their countries, respectively. I just think this feels like Canelo's time. He's right on the cusp of being the biggest thing in boxing. 
And I really think that he just has that intangible uh, extra gear that true champions have. And yes, this may sound like I have a little bit of man love for Canelo. And you know what? You might be right. Okay, he's a good-looking, articulate kid. And I just hope he wins because I think it's what's best for the sport. And I love the way that he fights. He's tough. He's powerful. He trains you know, in all the right ways. So if I got to lay my... If I got to lay my cards down on the table, if I got to make my bones on this fight, I'm taking Canelo. Tenth round, TKO. Uh, that's going to come back to fight. That's going to come back to haunt me. I know it. I know it. I know it. But oh well. Also, this fight not going to cost you $100. So that's another advantage it has over Mayweather McGregor. Okay. I think I've done enough fighting boxing. Also, tune in UFC 215. Let's not forget about that because, you know, always love the UFC. Demetrius Johnson, DJ, going for the record 11th straight title defense. Nobody's talking about it because DJ won't talk about it. And it's very annoying. He could easily, he's one of the pound for pound best fighters possibly of all time. And he just refuses to market himself in any kind of way that can make him the real money that he's complaining that he's not getting. You also have another title fight. Oh yeah, by the way, DJ's going to win that one. All the respect in the world to Ray Borg, the Tex-Mexican devil. He's not going to win. Or the Tex-Mexican devil, whatever he is on Twitter, he's not going to win. Nobody's even come close to beating DJ since he had a draw with Ian McCall back in 2012. And that was the last fight he didn't win. That's ridiculous. That's almost five years undefeated in the UFC. That's an unprecedented run. Okay, and uh, another title fight that's also going to go down. The uh, Amanda Nunes-Valentina uh, Shevchenko fight. Now, this one was supposed to happen a couple of UFCs ago at... But as it turns out, uh, Nunes had like a kidney problem right after her right after she weighed in and couldn't go. So they're finally going to meet. Hopefully everybody looks healthy so far and all the pressers and the open workouts. So we'll see. I hope they make it there. It's going to be a good one. This will be the second time they fought. Uh, Nunez uh, was winning early in that first fight, and I've seen it. I really think Shevchenko came back, and she definitely stole the third round uh, definitively. And you could have given the second round to anybody. The judges gave a split decision to uh, Nunez. But that's the thing. The way Shevchenko was gaining, if that's a five-round fight, if that's a main event or a title fight, anything like that, things may have gotten dicey for Nunez. We know both of them can strike with the best of them. And we know that Nunez has some type of black belt. But we haven't seen that much from her. She's a ferocious striker, and that's what she does. But she also tends to get gassed if it goes past the first round. Shevchenko, we've seen go deep into fights and do well against primarily strikers. And we saw her dismantle Holly Holm, who is one of the better strikers in the women's division. So... That's another tough one to call, but I really like Shevchenko. I think she's going into this with the right attitude. I think 
Nunez got a little cocky running through uh, first Misha Tate and then Ronda. She thinks she's on top of the world. Nope. No, I, I just I got to go Shevchenko on this one. Also, bonus pick. I like, I like Henry Cejudo in his fight this weekend. Uh, yeah, I just think he's due. He had a two. He had a crazy close decision against Joey Benavidez. That I think he won, but I digress. He's due. Look for him to win also. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Gotta love McConaughey. All right. Finally, we get some hockey. And can I just say, is it October yet? Ugh. I know school just started. I know it sucks. I hate it. I just had to go back today. It was very frustrating to say the least. Couldn't get my meal plan online, so I almost went hungry. Thankfully, I was able to scrounge up some sushi and a coffee. I can't think about it. I'll get mad all over again. Anyway, so we've got some rule changes going down. And the one that I want to talk about specifically is the new rule regarding the coach's challenge uh, when an offsides is challenged. Now, you all remember the uh, awful coach's challenge and how it slowed down the game when they challenged the offsides. You know, they are looking at the blue line. It's hard to tell. Is the puck crossing? Is the player crossed? What's the rule? Is that foot in the air? Is it dragging on the ice? God, it's annoying. Now, instead of incentivizing the challenges, uh, not only will you be using and losing your timeout if you lose, you will also uh, you'll also put the other team on a power play. Which makes little to no sense to me. It's just, first off, you only challenge the offsides if you've already been scored on. So not only is the goal still going to count, but you're going to have to kill a penalty immediately afterwards. Which... This... Gary Bettman's done a lot of real crappy things to the NHL. But this has got to be one of the worst. I get that they want more offense and they incentivize goal scoring. And, you know, they're hoping that Crosby, McDavid, Matthews, all these people can, you know, rewrite the history books so they can say that this is the greatest time ever. So they stop getting people to reminisce about the 80s and 90s and the 70s and the skill and the grace mixed with the brutality. You know, they want fighting out of the game completely, which is another issue I hate. You know, never stop fighting, boys. Never stop. But, I mean, this is getting ridiculous. I guarantee no coach is going to risk putting his team on a penalty kill to challenge something that's not going to definitely be overturned. So it's really, uh, it's not going to happen. And you are going to hear it from the teams, from the rest of the league, from social media, from all types of media outlets, pundits, NBC, 
hockey news, the country of Canada, you know, if it screws over a particular international player, Sweden, Russia, Finland, etc., etc. If one of these refs misses a clear call and doesn't overturn something and then puts the team down on the penalty kill, oh, that's just... I shudder to think. I hope there's going to be a lot of kinks to this. I almost hope that if they're going to stick with this, it happens a lot early so they can at least work it out so we don't have to deal you know, with too many bizarre instances. But uh, I just, I hate this rule. I hate this rule so much. I hate it more than taking out the two-line pass. Which I've grown to be okay with. And the hybrid icing. Uh, which still irks me. As you know, I miss the races. And not that many people really got boarded. And I get it. Safety for the players. Uh, you know. They all know what to do. They play within the confines of the game. They always have. But... We'll see what happens. Uh, I just can't wait for the season. Uh, you know, Flyers looking good. Line combinations yet to be determined. I'm predicting a big bounce back year from Giroux. I think that Jakub Voracek's going to also do very well. Uh, Wayne Simmons probably going to get his 30 goals, lead the team in points. I'll discuss the rookies a little bit closer to the season once we know who's going to be on the team. But uh, also, I'm ready to hate Matt Reed again. Yeah, there, there's some things and some people that when you hate them and that you can talk about them and all the ways that they piss you off, it just it feels good. Yeah, everybody carries around a certain level of negativity within them, and you need someone to direct that at. For me, that player is Matt Reed. It's also occasionally Dale Weiss, but more often than not, it's Matt Reed. And I need him to get back on the ice and to screw up so that I can go back to sleeping peacefully through the night and, you know, not having night terrors about him, you know, uh, going to the blue line and stopping and then putting a weak slap shot on goal. Anyway, I'm going to dish the rest of the negativity for this. Sorry to bring that out on you guys. It's, you know, it's been a long, it's been a long summer without reader. Yeah, you know. Anyway, so beer of the week or beer of the month, whatever you want to call it. I know it's been a while, but my beer of the week this week in honor of fall, we're going to go with Yingling Oktoberfest. Ah. Now, if you guys know me, and you know me well, you know that I love myself some Yingling traditional lager. It's my go-to. And, you know, I've been trying to get more into beer, you know, as you guys can tell with my recommendations. And I'm I'm tired of having to drink Sam Adams or go for some off-brand that I've never heard of if I want an Oktoberfest. Yingling is now giving me the option to have my own Oktoberfest beer. And it's, you know, it gives you, it's just as good. It's way cheaper. 
if you like Oktoberfest beers, if you like anything in that style, you got to give Yingling a shout-out. It's America's oldest brewery, for Christ's sakes. I mean, they know what they're doing. They probably could have come out with this years ago, but didn't, because they thought it was pretentious. Or maybe they still think it's pretentious, but they've just made a recipe that damn good. Anyway, try it out. You won't regret it. Also, special segment this weekend. I have to give a shout out to my brand new employers, uh, Zed's Beer over in Marlton. That's going to be North or uh, 19 North Maple Avenue. It's right in that shopping center next to the Nail Place, which is right next to where the Organico is. Also, great pizza there. Shout out to them. But I'm now working there. I'm going to be slinging beers there. If you want to check it out, Grand opening is going to be this Saturday. I am going to be there from 11 to 5. I'm pretty sure the doors open at 12. So don't come at 11. I expect you to get in. Doors open at 12. I'll be there till 5. I'll probably hang out afterwards. I've tried a couple of their products. I had the Porter, uh, which is very good. Very hearty. Tastes like Guinness, only better. And I also had the... Uh, Weiss Pale, which was very interesting to me. It had some awesome notes. It was a little sour, which I really like. I'm starting to enjoy those very much. Now, come on in. And a little bit, uh, a little bit of a special offer. I'm telling you guys about this so you know going in. If you get a taster, if you get one of our samples, it's four ounces, four beers that you get to try. And you then order a 16 ounces of one of those ones that you liked. We'll give you $2 off the beer. So, now that you know that, I don't know how you can't go marching down. It's a great deal. All the beers are uh, pretty low ABV. And the IBUs are going to be under 42, generally. So, it's not going to be too bitter. It's not going to gross you out. Uh, if, you're tr- if you're trying to get your girlfriend into craft beer... They got this golden peach beer. It's crazy good. It's got notes of citrus. It's a little sweet. It's got an interesting mouthfeel to it. And it's definitely one worth trying. But anyway, so Zed's Saturday, September 9th, 12 o'clock. Come down there. Inaugural opening. And now I go through the rest of my shout outs. Uh, look for my newest UFC preview coming up cornerpubsports.com. Also, look for my Alvarez Golovkin preview next week there. Okay, MMASucker.com. I'm currently doing a retrospective on how Demetrius Johnson's championship defense streak compares to Anderson Silva's, the man he's currently tied with at 10. Last word on hockey. I just posted a dream NHL fights between some of your favorites. Uh, just a little bit of teaser. Uh, you'll definitely want to hear my thoughts on Chara versus Pronger, if that would have ever happened. Always, uh, you'll find my personal stuff at sportingchance.wordpress.com. Also, might be where you're listening to this. Who knows? And again, follow me on the social medias. Uh, I should have made them the same number. Uh, okay, yes. M. Maratea, 22. If you 
you can't spell Maratea, it's M-A-R-A-T-E-A, Maratea 22 That is Twitter. And then Maratea 77 That's me at Instagram. And thank you all for listening. And talk to you soon. See you.